Hi, you're listening to the Chromatic Life Podcast, which is part of the Geek.fm network, along with Geeks with Sneaks, Fresh Out of Tokens, and More Than Bits. You can find all of our shows and host info on Geek.fm. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the Chromatic Life Podcast. My name is Javier Payano. This is a podcast where we talk about everything, all the diverse topics you can imagine. With me today, we have Tanya DePass from Fresh Out of Tokens, creator of the hashtag I Need Diverse Games and organization. Tanya, how are you doing today? I'm great, Javi. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm so pumped because we have an amazing guest author of finding masculinity female to male transition in adulthood we have today educator and author alex walker alex how you doing Doing great thanks wonderful we have been so excited to have you on the show and to get to know you and i'm sure our listeners are going to have a wonderful time learning about your book so why don't we dive right into that right now sure um So the book is about transitioning from female to male um, in adulthood. And and adulthood is kind of a a broad range for us. So it could be someone who is out of high school but is in a professional career. And it's also someone who's really deep into their um, life. You know, so our age range is from about 23. And the oldest member that wrote for us is about 41 years old. Um, and the focus of the book was really to um, dive into the different intersections of how transitioning in adulthood affects people. So not just the medical process, but talking about how relationships change and how someone's spiritual and emotional development is affected. And also, how do you navigate transitioning on the job um, was our, our main focus for that. Awesome, man. Where did you uh, initially get your ideas to start writing this book? Because this is a book with many authors. About how many authors? Uh, have? We have 15 total. Wow. Yeah, so that's, we... That's um, I kind of had this idea uh, from when I started transitioning. So I started transitioning about four years ago. And when I started that process of kind of thinking and saying, okay, this is, this is where I'm going... Um, I found some really negative things online. I found a lot of negative um, information about, you know, losing jobs and that it was really hard to be um, successful. And although that's very true and it is a very challenging path for many people, there are successful stories out there. And I think that we can learn from people who have struggled and people who have also been able to be successful through that struggle. Um, and so that was where the idea came from. And then I reached out to my co-editor, Emmett Lundberg, who, um, is a fellow writer and, um, director and producer. He, uh, works on films and also has a web series that he's created called brothers. Um, and we kind of started talking and developing the different sections of the book. Well, that's really awesome. And I especially like the piece uh, you mentioned about, you know, showing um, positive examples of uh, transgender 
people because unfortunately the majority of stories are here are stories about you know people being murdered and people being killed or discrimination or someone can't get a doctor to see them and just like really negative stories so I think it's important um you know to have work like that to focus on something positive um in in the community as well as you said there's a lot of misinformation do you want to talk a little bit about that like what are some kind of erroneous messages that people are getting well you know a lot of that has to do with um kind of as you mentioned like doctors and other professionals that we need to access to be able to access care um and a lot of that is really um what are your options you know in transitioning because there's really no right way to do this you go with what feels, you know, that's going to be appropriate for you and that can change over time and that's okay. But I think that the medical field, um, has had a, a big adjustment period of, you know, is it okay to use informed consent for hormones or do we have to follow the path of, you have to see a therapist for a certain number of months and, and go through all of that where that's very inaccessible to a lot of people financially. Um, and so um, finding out those details, but also, um, you know, about uh, spiritual uh, connections as well and, and being involved in religious um, communities has also been a big uh, struggle and a little bit of, of misinformation as well. Um, I think that, you know, there's been a lot more people who have been vocal in religious communities who have been working to create an open and accepting environment, but a lot of people were turned away um, from those communities, uh, for a long time. So we have some people who talk about where they turned and how they, um, kind of rose to that, um, through that struggle to find a connection with, um, kind of a spiritual, um, being for them. Well, that's amazing. Are you spiritual yourself? Um, not particularly. Um, I, tend to follow more of kind of Buddhist traditions, but not strictly. Um, but my wife is, is Jewish. And so I am engaged in that, um, religious community a little bit through her family. And that's been very accepting overall. That's wonderful. You know, I hear, um, I have some very, uh, conservative people in my family. I grew up Catholic, so, um, I definitely know what it's like and the challenges people, uh, of, uh, you know, especially people in the LGBT community, um, they have faith, but they still have all these struggles. And, and that's something they have to reconcile is, um, you know, everything about me or how I want to be is considered a sin by my religion, but I don't feel like it is a sin. I can imagine that's something very difficult. So I can see how these, um, stories, um, that these authors wrote could be very beneficial to the community. Um, are there any overarching messages any uh big points that these are the big messages that you're trying to send out into the community with this book oh definitely i mean i think you know a big message that has kind of rang throughout the whole uh book is just the gratitude that all of the authors have for having the opportunity to transition and to live their authentic lives and how they're just so much more at peace with themselves. Um, and another one is just giving more trans masculine people visibility. Um, because that's also something that is not as prevalent. Um, and so there's a lot of people working to create um, media and 
share stories to kind of broaden what's out there and what people are um, exposed to. So they can see a variety of what it means to be masculine or transmasculine or identify in that way. Well, that's really amazing. I want to uh, thank you again for coming on our show and engaging with our listeners um, about your book and about these topics. You know, hopefully later, if you don't mind, we'll put you in the hot seat a little bit when we get to our topics portion, because there's uh, definitely some things this week that we want to get your feedback on. Absolutely. How's that sound? (laughs) Wonderful. Tanya, any questions from you? Um, no, I, other than, um, you know, you kind of answered how you started the project. I was just wondering, um, are you doing anything to um, signal boost? Is there anything we can do to signal boost your work and get the word out on what you're doing? Um, absolutely. So we do have a Facebook page, and it's just uh, the name of the book, so Finding Masculinity. Um, and also a website, which is uh, findingmasculinity.com masculinity.com and um through there we you know post any events that we have and we've started to get a little bit more press with um smaller magazines and so it's just getting the word out and and trying to get people who are in the community and also part of larger society kind of engaged in this conversation that's wonderful i urge the entire chromatic community to go out and get this book by the way, can I just say it has a wonderful uh, cover picture on it there with uh, you've got the beard and the mustache spelling out masculinity. It's really awesome. Yeah, we had a really, really great person that we worked with um, to uh, design that cover. And we're really happy. It's got a nice statement to it. And I think it's it's a little it catches your eye, which I appreciate. So it absolutely does. It absolutely does. Yeah, I can't can't wait to get my copy to uh start reading it myself now you have this coming monday you have an event is that right we do yeah we have an event in uh chicago so we have let's see it's monday at 7 p.m and it's at um uncharted books which is on uh milwaukee avenue uh so, oh, yeah. so it's a good spot and uh looks like it's going to be pretty packed so if anyone's planning on coming get there early because we have uh it's a small space but we're going to try to put as many people as we can into there Awesome. Well, um, looking forward very much to seeing you again. Uh, for our listeners, we didn't mention this before, but Alex, I actually met you many, many years ago. We were uh, counselors at Interlochen Music- Fine Arts Camp, right? And uh, camp, what a what a wonderful experience for anyone who's there. I never went as a as a youngin, as a child, but I did go as a counselor for one summer, and it was amazing. You're still there this year. Uh, right? We went back to visit this year. Yeah. So, oh, you went back to yeah. visit. Awesome. And how was it? It was fantastic. You know, you, there's very few places in the world where you can walk through the woods and hear pianos and violins and, you know, see fine artists just creating masterful pieces, you know, all while staring at a lake. So it's it's a very Duck special lake. place. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Tanya, have you ever been to camp? Oh, not for many, many years. <laughs> <laughs> Will you regale us with a one time at band camp? Well, not band camp, but one time at camp, I almost like put a fish <laughs> through someone's eye on accident. Oh, Th- did they say something nasty to you? No, I just didn't understand how to like you know throw the hook in the water to catch fish. Uh. <laughs> you know, I heard I feel that. Like I saw it in a movie somewhere. <laughs> 
<laughs> I felt like a movie moment because I was just like, how did I do this? I mean, luckily, I didn't actually get their eye, but it still was a very unfortunate and bloody accident. And I was mortified and I never tried to fish again. Oh, my. Soured you on the whole deal. Well. Yeah, I'm a city uh, girl, so I'm going to go to the store and buy my fish. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Get the, get the stuff out of the frozen food section. Yep. That's what, that's what I'll be dying <laughs> Exactly. All right. Well, y'all, wonderful discussion so far. Let's jump into our topics for the week. What do you think? Sure. Beautiful. So, Tanya, you and Sharif spoke at AlterConf in Chicago. Please tell us all about it. Um, so, AlterConf, for those of you who don't know, is a tech conference aimed at giving marginalized voices a chance to speak. So it's not like your usual tech con where it is mostly like the white bro dudes. And it, it was created by Ash Dryden and some other folks. And myself, Shreve Jackson, Mickey Kendall, um, Kedra, Cheney, I think KDC on Twitter, and a few other local folks we all know were able to give speeches or give talks. And I spoke on why we need diverse games. And it was interesting. It was a little terrifying because despite people hearing me on podcast twice a week i'm actually really terrified of public speaking <laughs> so um that you was you know y- yes i'm <laughs> i'm actually really terrified of it at least by myself because on a panel at wiscon or something there's more than one person that focuses on me um but standing there by myself for 20 minutes talking was actually really terrifying and i was the first one to go up um and i really appreciate it because to kind of come full circle the last speaker and I'm so going to forget her name right when I need to know it, and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but she had no slides, and she has a speech impediment, a stutter, and she talked about how she was, you know, she forced herself to do this because it was actually interfering with her work life, her personal life. Just the very idea of introducing herself to someone in a work setting was terrifying to her. And she said, you know, the hardest and most frightening thing I've ever done is standing before you speaking and while I don't have a speech impediment, I under I understood that because, you know, people have an idea of who you are based on what they see you do and say online, but I'm actually very much an introvert and very shy. So I could I could understand and really appreciate the bravery and, you know, make yourself go out and do it mentality of I have this issue, I have this speech impediment, and I'm still going to get up here and talk. And it was just very moving, you know, and I don't want to make it sound like the inspirationally disabled because that's not where I want to take that. But it really Mm -hmm. just it moved me. And it was just like, you know what? I can I can do this. It is not the end of the world. And, you know, everyone else took a chance, got up and spoke. Some people are like, you know, they do this all the time. Me, not so much. So it was a great experience. Sharif's talk was amazing. He had great clips, um, especially MedPack motherfucker from uh Battlefield Hardline. Uh, but I really, really enjoyed it. And all the talks were recorded. I don't think anyone said don't record them. Um, and another friend of our, well, of, of mine that you haven't met, gave a talk on disability tropes in video games, which was really, really interesting and very informative because there were a lot of tropes I had never actually heard of. So I'm looking forward to when those go up on the AlterConf YouTube or maybe ThoughtWorks where it was hosted. Uh, sounds like a really big weekend you had there, and that happens. Does that happen in Chicago every every time, every year? This was the first one in Chicago. Oh, all right. 
The next one is actually in Detroit in October. I don't know if they're still taking speaker applications, but if you can spare anything, UltraConf does not turn a profit. All of the money raised goes back to paying the speakers and the cinematographer and those people that do ASL interpretation and captioning. They do not make any money off of this. So companies sponsor and all the ticket sales and everything goes right back out to the people participating. All right, Alex. Uh, I think we need to get you to to get one of these speaking positions at AlterCon. What do you think? I'd be open to it. I've actually never uh, heard of that before, but it sounds like a really great space. Oh uh, yeah, it's a good time. That you know the vibe. I've never been to AlterCon, but I've been to a similar um, events, and it's just the vibe you get there. You know, everyone has a similar mission. Everyone's focusing on diversity, and it's it's a vibe that you don't get to be a, around a lot. And I think when you can go to one of these events and, and feel the camaraderie, it's something really special. Absolutely. So, Sounds yeah, like Tanya, it. Tanya, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely. You want to take us into our next topic? Sure. So for those folks listening, if there's any international listeners, our next election cycle is going on, and Bernie Sanders is running under the Democratic ticket. However... Bernie Sanders supporters and their colorblindness might cost this man even the primary because there's a lot of you owe Bernie Sanders your vote because he marched with MLK and he has all these, you know, great ideas about race and diversity and justice. However, a lot of his liberal white supporters are kind of burning the bridge for him. And I got into it a little bit with some Bernie supporters on Twitter And it's just, it's ridiculous. You know, he's trying to, um, it seems like he's trying to do well. He does have some Black Lives Matters folks on his staff and he is reaching out, but it's his supporters that are really not really helping him. So I don't know if any, either of you had followed any of that stuff on Twitter or other social media sites. I did. You know, I've um, been interested in Bernie Sanders and since he started running and just uh, he's got a lot of really awesome ideas. And, you know, I know for a lot of my friends, I see them posting things on Facebook, on Twitter, um, seem to, you know, really support him. Um, it's just it's a it's a difficult situation. You know, the situation for de- Democrats is not as bad for the Republicans because the Republican Party is just like a hot clown mess right now. Um, you were used to choosing the lesser of two evils. Um, I'm not sure what it's going to be like uh, in this race. Um, Alex, who are you voting for? You know, I haven't really formed an opinion yet. Um, <laughs> you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard, hard to. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think that both candidates have positive things and negative things. You know, about you know their stance and. Um, you know, I'm really going to be interested to see how they debate um, about and what they do to rise to these really important issues, specifically around, um, for me, race and immigration and education. You know, I think those are really big, um, big items that are important to me and within um, my, you know, circle. Um, but I haven't really seen much um, of what I'd like to so far from either of them. Absolutely. It's a difficult situation when, you know, I also have a lot of younger friends who just aren't politically active um, because of the 
they see the futility of of their vote um and then there's a lot of people say you know vote even if it's for the wrong person so i'm you know i'm i'm kind of in your camp alex where i just have to kind of wait and see yeah you know, and I th- what is happening go ahead i was just gonna say you know i think that that's it's uh that was kind of the big item for Obama is that he was able to get younger people to go out and vote. Um, and so I think that that's necessary um, to find a way to engage younger people in politics. I mean, I was not engaged in politics for a long time, but have seen how not being engaged in that can affect my life um, in some ways. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Um, by the way, Chromatic community, make sure that you are engaging us in this conversation and sending your feedback and questions to Chromatic Life FM at geeked.fm. You can find all our podcasts on geeked.fm. And uh, Tanya, why don't we transition into our next topic? Sure. So I actually threw this one on here because I, I had some thoughts. Um, so when you're visible online, and I, by visible I mean known but not hyper visible like other people are where it's like you can't do or say anything without someone in your mentions demanding your time etc um but i had an incident on twitter and you know i was wrong i admit i was wrong i used ableist language but it was how the person came at me that really kind of set me off because i have feelings about call culture i think it's unnecessary and i think a lot of times it's wielded as a weapon versus being useful so i think there's a time and a place to go hey maybe you shouldn't say this or think about what you said or depending on the context every call out doesn't need to be public but it just so happened i'd had a really really bad day at my day job and this person instead of going hey that's ableist language could you not use it they did this kind of you know hashtag no no ableist activism and it just it hit me at the wrong time the wrong way and i snapped i admit i snapped off but then someone who knows me was like hey this actually is an ableist thing to say so i therefore went back and apologized and i'm trying to do better about such things but it made me think about how people feel entitled to your time when you are seen as a a semi-public person or you know, well, you're known for this, so therefore you can never do anything wrong. You can never say anything wrong. You can never have that public failing of being a human being, which is kind of why my um, Tumblr account is has a subtitle um, of sadly human because there was an incident on Tumblr that was very similar where someone basically faulted me for being you know publicly human and vulnerable and i think it's dare you be vulnerable i know right oh it's not allowed (laughs) apparently not for some people oh it's suspiciously human that that is the subtitle of my tumblr um and i just think we have a lot of ideas about when people become known or public that they have to maintain the version of themselves that we have built around them versus who they actually are. Um, Because I talk a lot about the struggles of just, I'm having a hard day. This is not a day where I can be chipper and try to be positive. And I try to keep that just on my personal media spaces versus I need diverse games. But there's always, oh, you're so brave to talk about it. And this idea that you can't 
be vulnerable in public. And I just find it really, I find it frightening that we were conditioned to not allow people to be human and vulnerable and fall without, you know, basically tearing them down going, see, we knew you weren't anything anyway. So that, that incident and other things that have happened in the past kind of were a tipping point for me to have that moment on being publicly vulnerable and being, you know, just, I'm a human being, I'm going to fuck up, I'm sorry. And I can own that and I can say, yes, I'm sorry, I fucked up, I didn't mean to hurt someone and I know going forward that I need to do better. And I apologize for those fuck ups when I, you know, am self-aware or someone gently points it out to me. But sometimes you don't always get a gently gentle reminder of, hey, that was fucked up or you said something wrong. And I've totally rambled in a circle. So I'm going to let you guys take this point <laughs> before I before I get any further off topic. Yeah, you know, just as you were talking there, I just imagined like, you know, a pack of wolves. And then all of a note, all of a sudden they all turn around. There's one of them bleeding. So they all jump on the bleeding one. You know, it's just like, don't let them see you bleed. And everyone has this facade put up as like, I have to be right all the time. Everything I have to say is right. And even when someone points out something wrong that you did, you get defensive. And, you know, we're so afraid of being wrong in this society. We'll, you know, we'll do anything, backpedal, do anything just to like, you know, spin the story and make, you know, shift the blame on someone else. Um, Alex, in your time on, you know, whether it's been, you know, in real life, on, on social media, I can imagine, you know, and especially with your book coming out, that you may have received some, you know, negative attention to that. Have you ever experienced anything like that online? Um, not necessarily online, because I do, being in education, I'm in a kind of an interesting situation where I have to keep things personally a little bit locked down online. Um, I've been much more open about that recently and have not experienced anything um negative so far but you know i can relate that to what i see and um you know or feel that pressure you know myself in just kind of an everyday situation you know if you're having a discussion about something that could potentially get heated um there is that fear of of being wrong and and um you know i think it's really interesting that it's developed into that and it's so hyper there all the time. Um, specifically when you're talking about, um, something where there are differing opinions, um, between one person and another, which I think that we should really honor those opinions and find a way to talk about them respectfully rather than saying you're wrong and I'm right, you know, um, within reason. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that when two people come together and disagree on something politely, like that's that's some, sometimes that's amazing to behold because you rarely get that. For two people, you're just like, you know, I'm a completely other opinion from you, but here we are. We're going to exist together and we're going to be fine, you know, even though there's this one thing we completely disagree on. Yeah. And if if people... And that's the problem with communic a lot of our communication happens online and communication online. You just want to be right and wow everybody and drop the mic and get likes and faves, you know, um, you know, but, you know, especially as educators here, it's just like, how do you how do you find that balance? And, you know, you have to honor that other person, um, even if you disagree with them. And I think um, it's important to teach the younger generation who 
you know they they they're growing up online this is the you know they a lot of my students especially don't have you know too great of uh, interpersonal skills talking to each other being social and uh none of this is modeled particularly well on tv which is you know the other place they spend most of their time um how do we teach the younger generation to really have a conversation with each other in a way that doesn't end up as a shouting match yeah and i think that's really hard i think you know i try to it's you know it's a balance you know teaching math you know you think how do you build that piece into it but I always talk to my students about how failing is the best thing that can ever happen to you because you're going to learn more by having, by struggling through something, you know, and being able to look to your peers and say, Hey, can you help me with this? Then just, you know, automatically understanding it, you know? Um, And it's, you know, maybe they don't make the direct connection when they're so young being in elementary school, but you know, the hope is that as they get older, they'll have other teachers, you know, that will also push them to kind of stretch those those boundaries a little bit more. Yeah. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be immersed in something new. And I think it's important to teach that, you know, that feeling is okay when you're feeling that strangeness, awkwardness. It's it's your personality growing. You're you're learning something new and we have to do something, you know, because the violence right now is it's just it's just abhorrent um we have a article here that we're going to go into right now and this is an article the title is uh parents of white teen shot dead by cops outraged by lack of uproar autopsy contradicts police account um yeah so this is zachary hammond 19 year old shot on july 26 during a botched drug bust so the parents of the young man are you know uh, obviously our hearts go out to the family and you know to offer them condolences offer them peace and you know the parents are saying something very interesting where you know young white um they're saying where's the uproar for his death is a young man uh innocent young presumably innocent young man shot by police where is where you know where's the hashtag all lives matters i guess is what i'm asking tanya well the sad thing is i heard about him because of black lives matter activists Hmm. um and the people who are you know hashtag all lives matters this shows that they basically just don't give a fuck about anything except being racist because they because if all lives truly mattered they'd be out there protesting and fighting for this poor kid you know i don't none of us know the facts but it seems like there's yet another case of the police killing a person without due cause and even if he had drugs and he gunned the car at them i'm surprised they shot him because well yes he's white but the All Lives Matters crew is awful quiet. There's some there's some tumbleweeds rolling by when it comes to this. So I can understand the parents being upset about the lack of outrage, but I think it's it's a disingenuous argument to basically go, well, if he was black, you'd care. Because, you know, they didn't have to teach their son to be afraid of the police. They didn't have to teach their son to be very careful, reach 
Reach slowly for the glove compartment. Make sure the cops can see your hands at all times. Don't talk back to the police. You know, it's at a point now where me, law-abiding citizen, 42 years old, I see a bunch of cops, I get terrified. I'm worried that, you know, some cop could be having a bad day or I could look at them funny. And, you know, whatever, whatever happened with him, you know, it's, it's another senseless life gone. Senseless taking of life, rather. I'm sorry. But, you know, I, I can't fault the fair parents for being aware of all these All Lives Matters people now. Because Black Lives Matters folks were the ones talking about his, his killing. So, you know, that just reinforces what we already know, that the, the All Lives Matters crowd is there just basically for reinforcing the status quo and are a bunch of racist assholes. Yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of uproar going on about this, especially, you know, on a local level. Um, I don't know how you would quantify, you know, it's like, what is enough? Like, what's the appropriate amount of uproar? Like, what would make you happy? You know, I think this is just like more at the end of the day, you know, it's just like no one, no one's safe. Not, you know, this could have, this could happen to anyone. This could happen to you. This could happen to me. So, um... I just like, you know, Alex, if you want to jump in, if you have an opinion on this, uh, it's just, just such really, really sad to see. And I, I wonder if it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. I mean, similar to Tony there, I, um, didn't hear about it from, uh, any all lives matters individuals, but I did hear it from folks who are involved with the, um, black lives matters movement. And, um, you know, it, it was an interesting contradiction, I think, is is what I noticed. It's just, it did. It got pretty silent, and um, I wonder why that is. You know, I think that um, a lot of, there's just a lot of chaos happening right now, and nobody really knows where to go with it, and that we need people to band together rather than, continue things that have been going on for a long time, you know, and we need to create that change in some way. Um, but I give the parents, you know, a lot of credit for saying, well, where, where are these people now? You know? Um, and I think that's a really important statement that people should be thinking about. So what do I stand for, you know, with this situation, which is similar to other situations with, with differences as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, um, one thing that I like to see a lot is I've seen some even police officers themselves protesting, holding up Black Lives Matters signs. So I know that there are members of the, you know, different police departments across the nation that, you know, they, they feel that there is something wrong. And I just think has something has to happen at the basic level. You know, there has to be some kind of education you know, I heard a police officer, he was saying we have to think, rethink how we enter, you know, these neighborhoods and you have to rethink how they perceive us because right now no one trusts the cops, you know, way back when for a certain group of people, it was officer friendly, you know, officer friendly was going to help you get home when you were lost. And, and we don't, we don't have that image of a police department now. So I think something has to happen on on a very basic level with the education of, you know, the new 
police officers coming in and joining the force because I can I can imagine a kind of toxic masculinity that's prevalent in these police departments. I mean, you can imagine, you know, you, you have these young men, they, they're playing video games, they're playing their battlefields, you know, they're watching TV, they see how, um, you know, police policemen act on TV, that's, that's, you know, that's the, that's the role model there, and, you know, there's got to be some kind of extra education happening, again, we're bringing it back to education, always opening the conversation, um, Tanya? Yes, um, sorry, I just, Thinking about Ferguson and everything else just really gets to me. And it's hard for me to talk about. I was actually um, on Geek Cross with Jeremy Yoder, and we were talking about Ferguson. And I realized that I was going to cry as we talked about Ferguson. Um, You can cry here if you need to, Tanya. It's okay. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, I'm an ugly crier. As in the the sobbing and all of that. So I'd rather not subject our listeners to that. Um, But I I think we do need to look very carefully at police shootings because it's too frequent. There's too many questions. And I don't know if either of you saw the article with someone who basically trains police to shoot first and he'll answer questions later. And the idea that there's someone training cops to do this is really terrifying. Because, you know, I wasn't afraid of cops as a kid or even as a teenager. Now, nope, nope, we're talking anxiety, I need to get away, and I should not be afraid of the people who are supposed to protect me. Because there was actually a video posted today about a woman who really started screaming in terror for her life and her children thought they were going to lose their mom right in front of them because of a traffic stop, because of Sandra Bland, and that affects your psyche. It really fucks you up, and, you know, I don't want to start having a panic attack or feeling like I literally need to run from the cops every time I see them, because if you're by yourself and it's just you and the police and you wind up dead, who's going to defend you? So it's just really, it's really hard to to discuss, it's hard to talk about, Um, but definitely we need to, we need to investigate cop shootings, because... You know, we're, we're trained to believe the police because they're, they're people in quote-unquote authority and their authority is bullshit when it comes to so many dead black people that no one can explain other than it's the blue shield at work. Absolutely. It's been, uh, it's been a year since Ferguson. Yeah, it's, uh, a lot's happened since then. Um, I'm trying to see like the silver lining trying to see where have we had progress. And I think the answer to that question is just, you know, awareness. Um, Ferguson really started a kind of domino effect where now um, we're hearing a lot more about these injustices as they happen, you know, with, uh, with technology the way it is now. I feel like the community is a, a lot closer and people are crying out for change, so I hope, you know, this keeps going. I hope it's an upswing and that, you know, we do our, our, our part 
here on the podcast of uh, raising people's awareness as, at least as much as possible. So, um, yeah, Alex, do you get the chance to talk to any of your students about these events? Yeah, that's been an interesting kind of situation. You know, we've, that's something that we've been working on to have meaningful conversations um, and to find the best way to approach this because um, I think that it's very important and I know a lot of other educators that are, are you know, in within my community that really feel that it's necessary to, you know, kind of engage students in kind of developmentally appropriate um, situations. And I think that's something we're still working on. I feel like this past year has been a year of educating ourselves as educators and finding the best way to approach that with our students. And I think that it's been taxing and trying and, um, you know, it's... It's some. It's a work in progress. It absolutely is. It's uh, hard to know what's right to talk about, and you know um, what's not. All I know is, you know, this past year when everything was going down, I had you know several students who would come in every day, just completely morose, and. Uh, I knew I had to speak about it at least in some small way, uh, just to keep my just to keep my classroom running for one, you know. But also just to honor that, yeah, you know, it's messed up what's happening, and your feelings are are just uh, something happens when you just see someone like you who's the victim over and over and over again. And Tanya, like you were saying, that lady, she's just like terrified for her life right now because she's in that same situation that Sandra was in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do, but like I said earlier, we need to, we need to engage the younger generation, especially with this and, and, and make sure that they're, they're with us all the way. So let us transition into one of our final topics for the evening. So we're going to talk about, uh, the show, I Am Jazz. Have you gotten a chance to see this show, Tanya? Um, no, because I don't have cable. Oh, all right. So, um, so yeah, the show, uh, Jazz is the name of the girl. Um, transgender teen. I believe she's 17 years old. Is that right? Um, and so it kind of goes into her typical life. Um... One thing that I found very interesting is I found this article, and it is all of the backlash against uh, the show. So for for uh, a group of people, you know, it's amazing, it's wonderful. Like in any situation, any minority, it's so wonderful just to see yourself on the screen. You feel like you're belong, you're part of society, you know. So. For this show, it's, it's, it's wonderful for so many people who finally feel like they have a place. You know, it's on TLC, in case you were wondering. And, you know, so right now, Jazz is getting very, very horrifying death threats. Um, her name is Jazz Jennings. And you can imagine people similar to other stories that we'll go into in a second. 
you know, telling her to kill yourself. It's like, what are you doing? You're gross. You're disgusting. You shouldn't be on TV. You know, you name it. She's heard it. And I just think it's really gross and really disgusting for anyone to have to experience that. And I'm correcting myself right now. Jez is 14 years old. So I, I don't think that any 14-year-old, you know, transgender or not, doesn't matter, should have to to go through that. And this is really eye-opening for people who don't understand what life is like for a transgender person, especially transgender person of color. Um, you are really being told by every part of society that you don't belong. And I know that there's teens on Tumblr that are being told every day to kill themselves if they don't belong in society. And that's something that truly breaks my heart. Um, Alex, did you get a chance to see this show? Um, I've seen some of it, not a lot, but I have um, been at conferences, trans conferences where mm-hmm. Jazz has been there and oh, have seen see. the book that uh, she uh, wrote with uh, with another author, and I think you know it's really great that she's had the opportunity to raise you know some awareness and be more visible for youth because I think that's a really powerful thing to see someone your age. Um, but I think it's it shows also a lot of um, where our society stands, you know, um, and you know what you said about uh, being a person of color and being transgender. I think that there's a huge challenge there um and it's it really breaks my heart that it's just so negative especially online when that is a place where so many people um transgender people go to look for support to find people who are part of the community and to learn things because they're not Um, getting that support in real life right yeah or you know their family is not um, supportive or, you know, they've lost a lot in their life and this is the place where they can turn to and then they're hearing those negative messages. Um, and so I think it's really important that, you know, although it's really unfortunate that she's receiving um, negative comments and death threats, which is, it's horrible, um, I'm very proud that she continues to be an advocate and out there for the community and for youth. I definitely agree. Uh, she's obviously showing a great deal of maturity and strength and courage in everything she's doing, and I hope she keeps going. Um, if I can step back a little bit and just share with you two and our listeners a little bit um, of, of the catalyst for this show, um, there's a teenage uh, transgender girl named Leela Alcorn, um, very close to... New Year's Eve last year, Leela finally took her own life after her um, conservative Christian parents took her out of school, took away her phone and her computer so she didn't have access to that support network online. She couldn't see her friends. And then her parents proceeded to put her into transgender conversion therapy, which, you know, those words together are abhorrent within themselves. Um... And so, you know, she she took her life um, a couple of days before New Year's and she left a letter for uh, to auto post on Tumblr for the whole Internet to read and, and basically saying, you know, calling out society and how gross society is for just making people feel like complete, you know, um, garbage, you know, just for being themselves and how, you know, there's no place in society and in the very letter in the final words of the letter 
she says, fix, please fix society, do something to fix society. And those words have uh, rung in my head ever since then. And I, I've, I've struggled so much with what to do. And I've, I've spoken to my students about these things, you know, but what else is there to do? Because I can't go on just doing nothing anymore. We have to raise awareness for this. No one should have a life like that. Everyone deserves to be loved and to be accepted. And for me, Leela Alcorn, that was just the last straw. And part of the reason that I'm here doing this podcast is to raise awareness for the um, LGBT community. Um, because, you know, I love that community. I honestly love that community. Um, some of my best friends, um, you know, are transgender, are gay, are bisexual. Um, and everyone deserves to have a safe haven, a place where they can feel loved. And, you know, we're doing our small part here to, to raise that awareness because we can't go on like this. Something needs to be done to fix society. So Leela Alcorn, I'll dedicate this episode to you. And Alex, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your opinions and sharing everything that you are. It's been a blessing to have you on this podcast. Well, thanks a lot for having me. And, you know, thank you for doing the work that you do because it's really important. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's been a great experience with Tanya and, and Matthew. He's not here tonight, but shout out to Matthew for helping us all put this together. Um, it's important. I think it's important work, you know, who, who, who talks about these things. Not many people. I think it's, it's important, like I said before, to open the conversation and maybe we change a couple people's minds, you know, and, and, and that's great. I'll be happy with that. Um, uh, we started something, Tanya, and I don't think we're going to stop anytime soon. What do you think? Nope, you're stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> stuck with you, and then uh, Alex will have to get you back on the podcast sometime very soon. Well, I'd love to, and Tanya, thanks for uh, your very insightful comments. You give me some, some more things to think about, so I appreciate oh. that. Awesome. Well, you're very welcome. That's wonderful. All right, well, we're going to jump into our final segment here. We're going to talk about what we've been playing and what we've been watching so uh alex do you want to go first sure well you know i do have to admit i've actually never really played video games before uh, uh, <laughs> i think i had a sega a long time ago growing yes, up sega um sega genesis and that was my one and only console that i ever had um but in my How work iphone I, games you know, iPhone games. In, uh, you know uh, Those count too. <laughs> not a not a ton. I don't know. I've never really been drawn to that. I play a lot of logic games though, um, logic board games, card games, that kind of stuff. So, okay. um, and I build that into my uh, my work too with with students. Um, so some of my favorites are actually uh, there's a game called Cathedral, uh, which is really fun, and it's um, you're basically trying to fit your pieces into the city square. Um, and take up as much space and prevent your opponent from taking up um, more space than you. Um, and so it's got a lot of strategy to it, and it's got a little bit of visual spatial skills that you're working on as well. Um, but it's fun because you every game is a little bit different, so you can't play it the same way each time. Um, 
And then, you know, one other card game that's really, really fun and a little bit fast-paced is called Set. So you're trying to match attributes and find sets before your opponents do. Um, so those are some things that I that I enjoy playing myself and, and with uh, my students as well. Oh, that's really, really cool. Kids love the games. They do. So anytime you can gamify anything in classroom, they, they love it. <laughs> so you have to show me these games next time I see you. I will, absolutely. All right, so Tanya, you're going to be very excited about what I've been playing this week. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So thank you to EA Access. I've been playing Dragon Age Inquisition all week long. My God, that game was a time sink. Alex, can you believe I've been playing this role-playing fantasy game for over 40 hours? Wow. Yeah, that's dedication right there. <laughs> Wait, only 40 hours? How only only 40 hours. I, I beat it in under 40 hours. Wow, you must not have done any side quests. Uh, guys, only, only what I needed to progress the story. I gotta get to the next game. Got an ever-increasing backlog to get to. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. I put a lot of work into it. Um, but yeah, such a great game. You know, I pick, Of course, I picked the female. Every RPG has to pick female. Kunari, she had the big horns. I love that. And, um, you know, casting spells with my staff, so... Before I start sounding way too nerdy, why don't you tell us what <laughs> you were playing? Um, I too have been playing Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh-huh. Um, but I've also been playing the new DLC that just dropped this Tuesday called The Descent, which you go into the deep roads and get a lot of dwarven lore. I won't get too much into it because it is really new and I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Um, but I actually had to... I wanted to get a Dwarven Inquisitor at least up to Skyhold, which is the fortress you get later in the game, because at that point you unlock um, these missions to go into the Deep Roads. Sadly, I kind of did all the things and overscheduled myself the last week or so, so I didn't get as much playtime as I wanted. So I took uh, apparently everyone's fan favorite of Maximilian Trevelyan into the Deep Roads and streamed it. Um, <laughs> Maximilian Trevelyan, or Max for short. Um, he's my, he's on my Twitter header again, and apparently he's really a fan favorite. I don't understand how, but hey, um, one of my friends really is just like, swoon, swoon, that is her comment in Twitch chat every time I use Max. Um, but I got about two hours in in a very difficult boss fight, and I'll probably stream some more this weekend, because I think it's about 10 to 12 hours if you do everything in the DLC. Alright, that sounds like a lot of fun. I'll probably be skipping the DLC because I gotta go back and play some more Destiny. Uh, oh God, yeah. Destiny! Uh, yeah, I'm back. I'm I'm back on the bandwagon. What can I say? My friends suck me back in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, before we get out of here, I have been watching one new show. I actually watched all eight episodes in one day. Um, Wet Hot American Summer. That's right. The cult movie is back in. In, uh, in uh, show form with eight wonderful episodes that actually lead into the movie. So if you've not seen either Wet Hot American Summer, the movie, or the new TV show that just came out, it has everybody in it. All the great comedians, like, you know, now Amy Poehler, you've got Bradley Cooper, you've got David Wayne, Michael Ian Black, just so many people. You'll recognize so many people there. So Alex, Tanya, if you haven't checked that out, it's on Netflix. I'd give it a, I'd give it a try. 
I'll have to look at it. <laughs> will ensue. All right, we've reached the end of episode four of Chromatic Life Podcast. This is the part where, Alex, I'm going to go to you, and why don't you plug every single thing you do and where people can find your work. Sure. Um, so the easiest way to find me is on Twitter, and my handle there is Evolving Gender. Um, and then I also run a blog where I find articles and write some pieces about how to create more inclusive LGBT classrooms, and that's evolvinggender.com. And you know, for the book, uh, it's easily accessible on Amazon. We've got a couple of bookstores in the Midwest that are carrying it now. So Uncharted Books will start carrying it after this Monday. And then in Milwaukee, we've got uh, Boswell Books. And also one other store has it right now in New York City. It's the Blue Stockings Community Activist Store. Um, so feel free to check out any of those. And you know, thanks so much for having me again. It's been great. Uh, oh, absolutely. We'll have to get you back uh, as soon as possible. Once you're once you're on the New York uh, top uh, bestsellers list. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, give a big big shout out to Quinn Murphy for joining us last time. If we have any new listeners, thanks to Quinn Murphy. Thank you so much for continuing with us and sticking around with us. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at Chromatic Life FM. Send your questions and feedback to Chromatic Life FM at geeked.fm. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, write a review or don't write a review. Just give us a five star rating because you love us. Um, like us on Stitcher, on Facebook. And please, 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 the most important thing you can do if you love us is share the show with your friends. If there is a, um, a segment that you liked, um, please share that with them. Um, we've been having a, a, a decent amount of downloads every week, and we want to keep uh, keep that great work up for you. So uh, you can find Tanya on Twitter at Cipher of Deer. You can find Matthew at Linksalot81, and you can find myself Javier Payano at Javier Payano. This has been episode four of the Chromatic Life podcast. Thank you so much, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.